What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Guardians of the Future. The gang is up here. Well, I guess not the whole gang's not here, but the gang is back together. I'm Lada, and uh, my good friend Willie Hood is with me. That means we are going to talk MLB Draft, of course. Willie, thanks for coming out of your semi-retirement to talk about your favorite subject in the world. Me? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about you. Yeah, this whole podcast is dedicated to you, essentially. Well, you know, I do like the draft, Justin, and with Cleveland having the first pick, it's very, very tempting for me to be involved. But you know, life is. Uh, Pulling me in another direction right now. So, yeah, we've all been there. A little bit choppy there to start with. Hope to hope our internet issues are not uh, to blame here. But uh, yeah, the Guardians. If you haven't heard, the Guardians have a, have the first pick in the draft. I feel like people uh, need to remember that. We need to remind people of that whenever we get the chance to. That Cleveland's picking number one overall in the draft for the first time in the franchise's history. And it's is it the best year to do it? Maybe not. That's like the only negative you can look at it, but Cleveland should still have no problems getting a good player at that top pick. And, you know, as we've discussed before, it's not just about that top pick. It is about the money that comes along with the uh, the first overall pick. You get significantly higher bonus pools to play with, and you can save some of that money across different picks and um, get some better players, have some more leverage to sign players lower in the draft. Maybe you wouldn't otherwise. I mean, a good example of this um, is Jacob Zibin from the 2022 class, the 10th round, where Cleveland drafted him uh, and gave him a $1 million signing bonus, which is not very common in the, in the 10th round. And, you know, there are some chances for Cleveland to do that this year in multiple rounds because they're going to have the draft pool to do it. And I know a lot of people will say, well, Cleveland's cheap. They don't spend money. The draft is where they do spend money. Cleveland um, almost never does not overspend really if you look at it they 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 spend to the limit where if they spent more they would be fined or lose a draft pick in the following draft so um that's how that works in the overspend so cleveland always spends on the draft and i expect this year to be no different what say you willie yeah i agree with you justin actually i'll correct what you said too by the way uh they spend within draft pick penalty they're, so they're usually a few dollars I think one year they were $5 away from incurring a draft pick penalty. I think last year it was $500 away. So they spend into the tax realm. So they end up paying taxes every year, just about since the new system took place. Um, I anticipate class, but I will also add to that, that this, this class, well, not as deep as last year. Um, there was external situations that that created the class to be as deep as it was last year. So last year was an uncommon draft because you had so much talent pushed back to school, or you know, just from 2020 and 2021, really, where you just had a backlog of talent. Um, this year, we're still we still have a whole season of baseball to play before players really show what they have. So there's an opportunity for players to rise up the boards. And, and it's the, the same thing every draft class is you never know who's going to emerge, what um, high, high, high schoolers are going to climb up draft boards, who's going to really show out. Like Paul Skeen's last year i think was in the low 20s on some um you know this year might be a little bit different you might get a, a corner bat like nick kurtz go one one could possibly be in play at one one come july and it could it might be where it's not even one of the top three guys right now and the top three being nick kurtz jj weatherholton and travis bazana or banana or however the world you say his name i don't know <laughs> he's bananas we're Bananas for Bazanza. Bazana, yeah. You know, I don't know how I to like say that. And Jared's fault. So that, it is that's Jared's all fault. I know. Jared, Jared's got to teach us how to say that, that last name. 
yeah, so obviously we're talking draft today because the college, the Division One college baseball season starts Friday. I know JUCO and D2 have already kind of gotten underway, and I don't know if we'll really hit any of that today unless Willie's got any surprises for me there. But um, this is going to be a college-heavy podcast in terms of MLB draft and Guardians related because, you know, the high school guys just haven't really started in mass yet. Like, I know I saw some clips on Twitter the other day about um, – the outfielder, what's his name? The 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 big time outfielder, Connor Griffin. I saw some clips there, um, but for the most part, a lot of guys aren't underway. And like you said, there are guys from the high school class that are going to emerge as the summer goes on. We'll talk about them more. We might pepper in some some high school talk at the end of the of the podcast today, but mostly about college. And you also made a good point too. This is the first draft we've had in four years, five years, four years that hasn't been impacted by COVID. So all these guys that were in high school. Um, have not been impact had their high school season impacted by COVID and the college guys who are at school now. I don't. I think there might be a couple guys left from 2020 if you count like, you know, medical red shirts and stuff like that. But yeah. for the most part, you've got a lot of 21 year old juniors and 20 year old juniors. You've got a lot of guys who are in college now who are mostly unaffected by the by the COVID years. At least when you're talking about college, high school. Obviously, you go back; they were impacted by COVID. But all these the guys who have been in college for four years now have not been. Um, impacted by COVID. So that definitely changes things a little bit from the past. Um, if you haven't had a chance to look, we are updating on next year in Cleveland. We're updating the draft boards a little bit, at least in terms of the watch list. So uh, a lot of college hitters are up there right now. Jared is working on college pitchers. Well, he's pitching where he can when he has time. And we'll continue to update those. We'll take a look at that. And we'll talk about some of those uh, today. I don't know, Willie. I'm I'm pretty invested in this high, this college bat class because if you looked at uh, Baseball America did a survey of the um, MLB scouting directors and asked them, you know, where the where to grade the class on impact and position in college and high school, and the one area that got graded the highest highest by MLB scouting directors was the college position players. That seems to be the strength of the class and. As we know with Cleveland, really with every team, every ever organization, if they're smart, is drafting to the strength of the class. They're not going out and picking, you know, random high school pitchers and whatever players. They are drafting to the strength of the class. Remember, that's why Cleveland took, what was it, 11, 12 pitchers? You know, how many pitchers did they take in the 2021 class? Like 19? Yeah, 19 out of 21 picks, I think it was. Um, yeah, so you draft to the strength. That was the strength that year. Cleveland took 19 pitchers. This year it's college bats. Will they take 19 college mm-hmm. bats? Probably not, no. But if that's the strength of the class, that's where you'll see them go. And I think everybody agrees that is where the strength of this class is right now is college bats. So that could change. That could certainly change. But as of today, that that is the strength of the class. Uh, Will, your audio is not coming through. Yeah, and that sure. was kind of there you go. the feel for last year's class as well, that there was a lot of college bats there. Um, there was a lot of depth in college. I think that's where there was a run on hitters for Cleveland last year, um, or so it seemed there was a lot of guys, a lot of bats that there was a little bit to me. I thought they would go a little bit more pitcher heavy since they lean so bat heavy in the international side of things. Um, but they've kind of reversed things there too. They actually spent a little bit of money in this past international class, bringing in a few more talented, um, younger arms, albeit guys that are already 18. Uh, I can't remember from Cuba as well. Um, but, you know, to, to what you if there's been a change in philosophy for teams or if they've been targeting more prep pitchers so they could get them in their systems a little bit earlier. Um, and I haven't looked at the numbers, but it makes me wonder if, if that's what's going on or if we're just seeing an evolution right now where you have one class or you have a couple of classes that are really stacked with hitters. And then sometimes you get a class where it feels like it's really deep with pitchers. And I always say that there's more pitching there than what people realize. You're going to get a starter pitcher. The question is, where are they going to come from? And, you know, I think B.A. hit on it. Um, seems like 
a lot of pitchers are focused more on I've got to get the strikeouts, I've got to throw harder, and you're losing command. And I think that's, if you will, where we're seeing more power pitchers, guys with more outside the zone to get swinging misses. Um, maybe they're not they're not um, looking like what we used to think of 10 years ago with a pitcher who had only two walks per nine innings. Now we're looking at guys with walks over three, walks over four, and he might still be a starting pitcher because he has strikeout stuff where the game is, has evolved. And, you know, you got to get some of those guys into pro ball to change what they're throwing and what counts. So they're not wasting pitches. Um, I think sometimes in some programs, guys are just more, worried about, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to throw out. I'm going to go throw 100 if I can. I'm going to go and get 10 strikeouts this game and show scouts what I can do rather than developing the whole arsenal and then worrying on complete pitcher development later on. I think Tanner Bybee is a prime example of, you know, complete pitcher development, somebody who could pitch and had pitchability, and now he's added velocity because he's added strength. Something Cleveland's done is find those guys who are underdeveloped. Um. You see more guys who were underdeveloped, it seems like, get drafted higher nowadays. I mean, just looking at the last couple of draft classes, guys that I gave grades to go in the fifth round or go in the seventh round higher because teams are focusing on guys that have command and have stuff last year or not with the draft where players were being picked above where you would kind of think that they're going to go, especially pitchers. Um, you have like-minded organizations sometimes. I think that's what happens. And when the draft is changing, when teams are trying to move and let the draft come to you, you know, some some people may complain about Cleveland's draft last Last year, people may complain about the 2024 draft when all is said and done. Oh, they missed an opportunity. Hindsight's always 2020. You know, we don't know what's going on. We don't know bonus demands. But I'll say that Christian and I would be surprised if you know your first three picks to me. Those guys should really stacking. I think think a pretty deep organization. Cleveland doesn't have star power, but could come away with one or two, maybe three guys in this class who change that. Um, hopefully that's about development. You can bring in more talent by spreading the wealth, so to speak. So this is a really great opportunity for Cleveland. It really is. Sorry, we're on a, we're on a bit of a delay here. Um, before we dive any further, further in, um, talk about some players here. You got uh, obviously, like obviously, everybody who knows who listens to this podcast, if they listen to Lockdown Guardians, everybody knows I am on the Nick Kurtz bandwagon and have been on the Nick Kurtz bandwagon for a year. Um, this is the time of year where guys like Wake Forest, teams like that, they're playing Fordham on Friday, for example, for the weekend. So you're going to see a lot of. Uh, Wake Forest highlights on Twitter over the weekend. A lot of Nick Kurtz home runs, some Chase Burns fastballs. Those are all exciting. I'm excited for that. But temper temper how we feel about those things because they are facing Fordham. Um, you're going to see a lot of really good teams play a lot of fringe teams, a lot of uh, lower-level teams this, for, this opening weekend. So be careful how you feel about performances from even like the Nick Kurtzes of the world and the Chase Burns and – um, Jack Caglione or any of these big names that were thrown out there. Be careful how you feel about them against the Fordhams of the world. Nothing against Fordham personally, but that's just how it works. What we really need to pay attention to this weekend is, you know, like a guy like Mike Sirota. I'm not really sure who Northeastern is playing, but teams like that are playing higher end teams to start the year. Um, so anybody who is from a lower uh, tier of teams, you know, non-top twenty-five teams, your non-power five teams. They're they're playing the Wake Forest. They're playing the the Texases, the LSU's. Watch how those players are performing against big-time town. That's what that's what early in the season, 
You want to watch for guys like Mike Sirota and those guys, what they're doing. That's how you identify lower, lower non-power five talent for the draft. And then as we get into, you know, spring, March and September or March and April, I should say, I don't know why I said September. Um, when, you know, Nick Kurtz and Wake Forest start facing Duke and Clemson and UNC, then you can start tracking their performance against the big time teams. But right now we're tracking performance for the lower end players against big time teams. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to retweet, you know, 10 times uh, Nick Kurtz hitting a 400 foot home run or Seaver King, you know, flying all over the field. I'm so excited for those. Um, well, let's have the one one conversation here real quick, because you and I haven't had a chance to have it on air yet. Let's have the one one conversation. I'm, I'm still married to Nick Kurtz right now, and it's going to have to change for me. The two biggest questions I have going into this, the college season is um, J.J. Weatherhold has to play shortstop. But here, here's my thing. How special can the bat be? Because at the end of the day, I don't care how good his defense is. Because you know, Same with Travis Bazan. I don't care how good the defense is, really. Because if you are drafting number one overall and you're saying to yourself, okay, well, if the bat doesn't work out, and we could fall back on whether Holt being a plus shortstop or a plus second baseman or, or not and second base. Um, he's got speed. And same with Bazana. If the bat doesn't work out, and I personally prefer Bazana's bat to Weatherholt's, but, you know, he's only played at second base. Can he play somewhere else? And you're saying, okay, well, first base is a risk, right? Because the defensive spectrum is there's nowhere else to go. But when I'm dra- if I'm drafting 1-1, and I'm saying, well, if the bat doesn't work, at least we have defensive value to fall back on, right? Or the bat doesn't have to be as good because the defense is good. You're picking 1-1 overall. You're picking in the top five. If I'm if I'm worried about defense, if I'm worried, and the, the total package is great. If you can have a 5-2 player or a 4-2 two, two player, that's great. That's awesome. But if I'm if I'm sitting here saying, well, we need the defense to also contribute too because the bat's not strong enough or the bat may not work. That's a problem. That's fine when you're picking 20 or 25 in the back half of the first round because you're not getting access to elite talents like these guys. When you're picking first overall, I need the bat to be an impact. I can't be I can't be worried about the defense as much first. You know what I mean? Especially with the way Cleveland – I know you can't draft for need. But the way Cleveland has built their farm system, it's a lot of 45, 50 hit tool guys. And it's like, if the bat doesn't work out, well, great. Brian Rocchio is a great defender. But I don't care if Nick Hurts can't play defense. Like, is he a middle-of-the-order hitter for sure? Maybe? Great. Is J.J. Weatherhold a middle-of-the-order hitter? Well, that's great. Take him one overall if he is, if he's the middle-of-the-order bat. And, the, and then he has the shortstop defense. That's fine. But no, no second baseman has ever drafted number one overall. So Cleveland has to believe that Weatherholt can play short or has to believe that Bazana can play another position besides second base. And I know position is risky for first base too, but I don't know if you're giving me the option of, you know, you, you threw out on Twitter. Is it, is it Luis Robert or is it Matt Olson? I mean, Luis Robert's great. I'd take that for sure. Probably over Matt Olson. I agree. You know, not, not worry about health as much, but, am I taking Dansby Swanson or am I taking Matt Olson? Because if you're asking me, I'm taking Matt Olson, which is, you know, kind of what I, where I'm at with these, these two infielders and Nick Kurtz. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think you get Dansby Swanson from JJ Weatherholt because I think he's a better average hitter. Um, and I think you, you probably get average power or with him. Um, above average plus speed, so a guy that might steal 30 bases. It, it's a tough question. I mean, if he um, – you know, I, I have a hard time not popping Weatherholt there, but there's a lot of questions in my mind is, okay, where is the value really going to show? And where does Cleveland find value? And often it's with defense, so you're – going to look for a guy who has premier defense and probably be a special bat. And that brings in a couple of guys into play defense. I'm not sure about Bazana. Um, you know, when you're going one, one, you're looking for a special player. It, it should be a face of the franchise type player. And there's a couple of guys. And I think Weatherholt does have that possibility if he shows he's a shortstop, because I believe the hit tool 
is a 70. And if he's hitting at that level, he's hitting over 300 every, every year. You're talking 15, 18 home, home runs, maybe more just because I think the average is going to play out. Um, uh, but you also have a guy who has that metal an impact. Um, so I was having a conversation with uh, Matt and I forget um, comp with Connor Griffin. And, um, you know, I was just, just talking to him about him maybe being a dark horse for that first pick. Connor Griffin already showing out, but, but he's playing in Mississippi and how special is the town that he's facing in Mississippi. I think that's a worthwhile question. Um, I do think Connor Griffin has four plus tools or better. I think MLB.com is a bit generous. Not typical on the rating scale, um, but I do have questions about the hit tool. If, if he became a talent that can impact a game in a lot of ways. If you think that he's that, he'll have to really show Matt Olson there. You know, and I mentioned Chase Burns. Chase Burns would have to show a lot to, to likely look for the safe route and go with a bat there. Um, the safest route is always a bat, but, um, you know, they're good at developing pitchers, and I think that they'll lean into that and – I don't think you have to look for a power hitter. I think there's a power hitter already there, and that's uh, Nick Kurtz. So if if I was choosing one one right now, it's Nick Kurtz. Um, to hey, what's the bonus demands, and how much can I save here? I mean, maybe a guy like Mike Serrata, you know, he's somebody I really like. If you get him down at the right price, you save a few million dollars, you pay him the eighty percent, move the two million dollars to pick two, and pick, I'm sorry, pick thirty six, and then pick um 48 i mean that's a lot of money to spend there it, that would be very tempting if you have very similar grades on several players uh, you know if you can save a little bit of money it, it's was about spreading the wealth and bringing in quality and quantity and that's the approach and you know right now um i don't think there's that one elite and you know you just need somebody to differentiate themselves between now and july and, you know, maybe make the pick a lot easier, kind of like it was last year. To me, there was two top guys and then a few other really good guys, and then everybody else kind of fell in behind them. Um, let's hope that's the problem, so to speak, that Cleveland has in July, where you have a choice of, hey, we can't go wrong with with the next Dylan Cruz, or we can't go wrong with the next Paul Skeens. Um, you mentioned the talent that people are facing. That's a great point because, you know, yeah, Chase Burns has showed out in practices and stuff, but you got to remember the level of competition he's facing. And remember the level of competition that teams are going to be facing um, up to basically conference play, uh, kind of like college football, where Ohio State will play. I won't say a cupcake schedule, but they'll play. They'll play Toledo, and that's a warmer warm-up game um, for what's ahead of them. Same thing with college baseball. There's going to be some warm-up games until they get into conference play, and when once teams get into conference play, then we'll really see. Um, that's one thing I do have some questions about with whether hold is the quality of the conference versus yeah, what it's going to face, uh, in the ACC too. And then same thing with Bazana, but I think whether Holt is doing exactly what he should do, which is hit and hit and hit and hit it for a high level. Um, and he even hit when he was on team USA. So there's no question with the hit tool to me, I think he's going to hit and hit for average it's just what position will he play and how much value defensively does that bring to the team? And I think Cleveland will be looking at defensive value um, and equating that into part of the equation too. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with equating defensive value into the discussion. Obviously, you're not going to pick a guy who, again, no, no second baseman has been drafted 1-1 overall. So if Cleveland is to draft Weatherhold or Bazana, they are not going to be announcing them as second baseman. They will be announcing them as a shortstop or a center yeah. fielder, you know, whatever they feel like. And even with Kurtz, let's say they draft Kurtz, they could very well announce Nick Kurtz as an outfielder. I mean, 
The Tigers yeah. announced Spencer Torkelson as a third baseman, even though not a lot of people believed he was going to be able to play third. And it turns out he wasn't. He's at third base. And obviously he is a good cautionary tale for Kurtz as well. But I don't know. I, I think I, I do like where Torkelson is going. I think he's getting better. And I think I personally mm-hmm. think Kurtz is better than Torkelson as a hitter. Torkelson was was unfortunately subject to the COVID year where all that happened, mm-hmm. but he also played at Arizona in Arizona. That's an environment that inflates a lot of offensive statistics. So it's hard to get a read on that stuff. And like you said, the Pac-12, not great. The ACC is is a fantastic baseball conference. And Absolutely. I know people are going to say, wait, well, Wake Forest is ballpark play small. Yes, it's a hitter-friendly environment. Um, I still think Kurtz is a better bat than Torkelson, and I wouldn't be upset if even he takes the same bat as Torkelson at 1-1 overall. I just I just can't have defense driving the conversation at 1 overall. Like, I'm okay, like I said before, I'm okay with your 20th or 25th overall pick being a guy that, you know, is a, a, a 45 hitter in, in a 60 glove, but you can't have that at 1 overall. I'm not saying Weatherhold or Bazanners are 45 hitters. I don't believe that at all, but are they going to have the same impact offensively as Nick Kurtz? Because I think ultimately defense is not a strong enough carrying tool to like, let's say, let's say Bazan and Weatherholt are, are 60 overall hits, you know, hit tool guys. And that's double plus, or I'm sorry, that's plus not double plus. That's plus. Let's say Nick Kurtz is a, a 50 hitter, a 55 hitter. Um, but his power is 60 grade, but Bazana and Weatherhold are more like 45 power guys. Are mm. you going to let a deviation of hit tool and a 60 defense matter more than the 60 power to go with the average hit? Because if, if Kurtz was like 40 or 45 hitter, then yeah, it's a problem because he's not going to get to that 60 power. But if he's a 50, 55 and a 60 power, that, that power is the impact tool that he's going to get to. And mm-hmm. um, I think it creates a greater impact than what Bazana and Weatherholt can do with their hit tools and defensively, because it's just going to make a bigger impact. Although I don't know, I, I can see Bazana being a 55 power guy. Just he's worked on a lot of stuff over the off season. He went to drive line to increase his attack angle to, to pull more mm-hmm. balls in the air. For me right now, my, my one A and one B are still Kurtz and Bazan. And I think Weatherholt's a three for me, but I know that is not the, industry consensus and i know i am not a draft expert so that's just me you know speaking in into the and i almost want to say peeing in the wind basically but i don't have a good uh analogy for that so that's what i'm just gonna say but uh yeah i obviously i like nick kurtz but I, i'm excited for this college back class i mean if they don't go like Seaver king's the guy we haven't even mentioned yet Seaver king you and jared have had a lot of discussion about like is this a guy who could jump into the one-on-one conversation because he is a shortstop and maybe he can play center field and he hit the heck out of the ball at Wingate and he hit the heck out of the ball and the Cape and that matters. And if he carries that same hit tool and that same athleticism to wake forest, then that's a guy that's going to be hard to not at least discuss as a one-on-one option. Yeah. And, and when you hear comments like, Hey, he's the best player on the field everywhere that he goes, that's uh that's speaking very highly of him and you know i don't know how he ended up at wingate but duke can hit and uh, you know i i think he can play shortstop and i think he could play center field so how high is he going to rise in the draft that's really the question to me um i don't know if he gets to one one or not i think it's a possibility though um because i think the hit tool could be special um what are his other carrying tools? Let's, you know, back back to that positional value and how many plus tools is the guy carrying too? I look at uh, Nick Kurtz and I see a guy with potentially three plus tools because I think the bat could be that good. And I think the power is easy plus. And, you know, he's above average to a plus defender too. Um, that's, a, that's a hard thing to turn away. And, you know, I don't want to get into the call or I'm sorry, into the prep side of things, but um, you know, I mixed in uh, Mike Serrata earlier, kind of a, a dark horse, small school, probably not going to be a top uh, top pick, but he wouldn't be a surprise to me if he was in the top five. We haven't even talked about Vance Honeycutt who has all kinds of tools, but just hasn't shown the ability to put the ball into play 
um, hasn't hit for average, has the defensive capabilities that you want in a center fielder. You know, uh, I said the other day when I was watching highlights of him to you, uh, Grady Sizemore-esque because he was running in and diving and getting balls and running back and just all over the all over the center field, just showing his range off. Um, very toolsy outfielder. You know, I dropped the name Braden Montgomery before, somebody I think that has the tools, but he would have to show out. No question that he has the tools, but he's also been a two-way player. You know, there's there's a lot to prove. You know, right now, I think the sure thing, if I had to take a pick right now, it's Nick Kurtz. Um, that's where I would go, but I won't be surprised if things change between now and then, and it's not a slide towards him, just because I think that there's so much variance in this class and those top 10 picks that a lot can change. Um, you know, as I said, we knew Dylan Cruz was going to be a top three, four pick. That was pretty foregone conclusion. Wyatt Langford, we knew he would be a top five pick. Um, but what, what about Caglione? If he shows that the changes that he's made as a pitcher um, can carry over, I mean, man, that's awful tempting. I don't like him as a hitter. I think he's a strikeout machine as a hitter. And, yeah, you get a lot of power, but you can get a lot of power a lot of different ways too. So, Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just going to say that's one guy we haven't talked about. And I know some people are going to be um, – you know, really excited about it to the two-way ability because he can hit 30 home runs and he can throw hundred miles an hour on the mound. And it's, it's a great town. He's, he's a very special player in college. Um, in college. I think people are, yeah. And co- that's the important, important distinction, right? It's in college. A lot of scouts see a very limited ability to make contact, which is a concern. Like you said, you think he's a strikeout machine. He's a strikeout machine on both sides of the ball. He strikes out a lot as mm-hmm. a hitter. Uh, but he strikes out a lot as a pitcher too, but yeah, he yeah. has supposedly cleaned up his mechanics a little bit. He's got to throw him for more strikes. He's got to keep himself in the zone a little bit more. I mean, he's an exciting player and he has the tools there to be a one, one talent without a doubt, because again, he could, you know, the 99th percentile outcome for Jack Caglione is an MVP level player. We're talking about mm-hmm. a guy who could be uh, a mid rotation starter and a plus bat at first base like that's if you can draft you know sort of your own Shohei Otani and it works out like that you know you you have struck gold but that's the kind of pick that also gets GMs gets people fired if you if you are pounding the table for Jack Caglione 1-1 you have to be sure that this guy is the next Shohei Otani basically because you with this I know again it's not a there's no Dylan Cruz there's no Wyatt Langford, but if you're pounding the table for Jack Caglione one one, you need to be sure that he is going yep. to reach the upper level of his of his outcomes, because if he ends up being a guy who is, you know, maybe he's a reliever, he has a hard time throwing strikes, maybe mm-hmm. he's like a, a a thirty home run first baseman, but he, you know, he's uh, what's one of the guys, the Daniel Vogelbach or whatever, you know, what I mean, like he's a powerful hitter, but the impact just isn't there consistently because that's the downside. So you better be sure you're, you know, that he can reach the upside because otherwise that's a pick that gets you fired. Is, is it acceptable to get a first pick that it might hit 225 but hits 35 or 40 home runs and strikes out 200 times? Um, if I mean, that strike out 150 hitters on the mound. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what I hear you say, and really it's, maybe a more polished Davison De Los Santos who can pitch, which sounds intriguing because he has the, he's got a 40, 45 bat and 60, 70 power, you know, yeah. that's debatable. Um, but, but is he, he a starter pitch. or a reliever? Yeah, that's a good question. Does he have that du- durability? Um, I don't know. I don't know. If you I think he's a reliever. I don't think you could take him at one overall. No, I don't think you can he either. He has to be a starter. Yeah, and and like I said, I don't think he's shown the contact rates. You know, I had I didn't look at his off-speed contact rates, and that would be interesting because I think he would get exposed, or major league hitters will. I'm sorry, major league pitchers will find his contact rates. They'll find you know I'm saying they're going to scout him out. Pro teams are going to scout him out, and they're going to exploit his weakness. Whatever it is, I just know that hey, this is a guy I think he's going to strike out 150. 200 times if he's putting up 600 at bats 
that's a lot of strikeouts. That's a lot of essentially wasted at bats. And I don't think he hits for average to justify that with a first pick. Could he be a unique special talent? Absolutely. Get him in the Astros organization, get him in the Dodgers. And you know what? He probably takes off. I just don't, I don't trust Cleveland's player development on the hitting side at this point. Um, I don't see the track record there, but to be fair, we've only seen quite a bit of contact hitters come through the organization. So (laughs) we haven't seen these guys with that sort of power come through the organization. And, and, you know, that's something that's likely to change uh, with a more focus on bringing in power and bringing in what I see, what I think is more tools into the organization too. Um, You know, with Esteban Floreal in the outfield, more tools, um, there's more opportunity because of those tools that he'll have a, a higher floor. Um, you should never be looking at the floor for a guy with the first pick. The question is, with the first pick is, what is his ceiling? Do you believe that this guy has the highest ceiling for the players that are available? And I think you have to bring in, again, into the equation is, What's his price tag? Because if his agent is Scott Boris and he's asking for $10 million, he's going pick number two to Cincinnati or pick number three to Colorado Rockies. Probably not happening. Are you going to pick number four to whoever has that? I don't remember. <laughs> what if I, what if, okay, so what we're describing with Jack here is kind of like a, what if he is Adam Dunn offensively and he's either Dontro Willis as a starter or Andrew Miller as a reliever? Like what if you're talking about ceiling? Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Jack does have the most ceiling of anybody because there aren't a lot of guys in this class that can do it both ways. I mean, we have a lot of two way players in this class. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of guys like, you know, you talk about Braden Montgomery, but the guy who can probably do the best of both right now is Jack, at least tools wise, maybe not results mm-hmm. so far, but. I don't know. What if you're getting an Adam Dunn and an Andrew Miller or a Dontro Willis? That's that's why I think he might be as Dontro Willis if the command doesn't shore up. And you're talking about a guy who might hit 220. That's that's Adam Dunn. But if he hits 40 yeah. home runs, who cares? So I don't, you know, know. I don't know. The floor might a, be lower than that if it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah. And to me, I mean, just my perception of value, what the player is worth and where I would draft him, I draft him in the 15 range. It would not be in the top 10 picks. I would make that sort of, okay, if I thought he was a legitimate starter, I would focus on him as a legitimate starting pitcher. But that's not a long track record there. So I would have to be absolutely sold. Oh, he's an ace. And there's only one pitcher in this draft class. Well, no, I'll take that back. There's one pitcher that I've already talked about that, one pitcher that I've already talked about that I think has that potential, and that's Chase Burns. He has ace potential. So, yeah, let's talk about some pitchers real quick because we're running short on time. We haven't even gotten to some lower-level guys that we like. Just we can throw out some names at the end. Um, that's Jared's fault. What it, Jared, just keeping us keeping us out of time here, man. Um, <laughs> Chase Burns, I mean, I think he could pitch himself into a 1-1 conversation, but mm-hmm. – I think the bats are just going to be too good to get there, but we'll see. Let the season play out and see what happens. Agreed. Um, there's a lot of relief risk there, but you know, like I said, you got to let him let him play. I think there's a chance he could do it. He's a talented enough. The other guy, I don't, I don't want to give Jared any credit because it's his fault, but he mentioned Brody Breck the other day, and I don't know. Brody Breck's not playing football anymore. He had a whole off season to to focus on baseball. This will be his first year where he didn't do football in the off season, so. What does Brody Breck look like coming into the season? Can he throw more strikes? The stuff is ridiculous. Um, I mean, could he have a Paul Skeens like ascent this year and and mm-hmm. pitch his way into the top of the conversation? I mean, I think a lot of people thought that you know Dylan Cruz or Wyatt Langford were destined to go one one, and I like you said, couldn't go wrong with any of those players. Does does Brody Breck force his way into the conversation at one one? If Chase Burns can do it, could Brody Breck do it? Iowa. I think it's possible. As you mentioned, the pure stuff is there, but is his control going to come around? Um, There's a lot going on in that program at Iowa right now, a lot of pitching development. 
They've really become very analytically driven. Um, some interesting arms there and some interesting kids getting going, well, committed to going there. Um, Oki, one I know that you really like is is a commit there. Uh, Marcus Morgan, there's another Ober Mueller, and then there's a, there's another right-hander. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but there's at least four draftable talents that I can think of on Iowa staff right now in the first probably within the first three or four rounds, just depending on where Ober, Obermüller falls. Um, that's a really interesting program. Um, with him being very athletic, I mean, he was a wide receiver on, on the football team. So the athleticism is there. It's just the raw stuff. If you believe the stuff is, gonna, is all going to piece together, there's potential. But I just don't see the track record. And I know teams in particularly – Cleveland will look at track record. Um, you know, that's the same thing. That's going to be the knock on Chase Burns. I had him as a top. I think I had him as a second round pick when he was coming out of high school. Um, guy that had rumors uh, of going potentially in the first round out of high school. So for him to go potentially in the first 10 picks, first five picks, or even as the number one pick, you know, the potential has always been there, but the um, performance has not. And I don't think that's necessarily a knock on him. I look at UT, um, uh, University of Tennessee's baseball program, and how they handled him in particular, using him as a starter, using him as a reliever. And I think that's in large part because they had Chase Dollander. Um, they had another guy that was drafted by I believe the Dodgers and then traded to another team um, that was a, was a senior. There were two or three pitchers that were ahead of him. And then you have Drew Beam, who's a, a pitcher from Tennessee. You know, speaking of them, there's, there's a talented guy I've got to throw into this conversation, not as a first round, I'm sorry, not as the one, one overall, but potentially for Cleveland later on in the first round or in the uh, competitive balance round rather. Yeah. There's not as many arms as bats, but let's, let's kind of, throw out some names here we really like from the college pitching class and just kind of briefly talk about watching them. I, one of the guys you talked about beam. Um, I I'm big on Michael Massey. He needs to prove it, mm -hmm. but he was a reliever last year, but Kurtz and King both said that he was the, the nastiest pitcher they saw in fall ball last year. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about a, a team that has chase Burns and Josh Hartle and some other really good pitchers. And they said that, Michael Massey was the nastiest pitcher they saw. So I'm interested there. I think he might pitch his way into the first round out of range for Cleveland, but I'm excited to watch him. You said Obermiller from, from Iowa. I'm excited to watch. Um, another guy I really like, we, you know, you and Jared like as well as Matt Agar from UC Santa Barbara and Cleveland tap back into the UC Santa Barbara team and, and grab him at 36 possibly. Could he pitch his way into the first round? I really like the stuff there. Uh, Trey Savage. I got a feeling Trey yeah. Savage is going to be a first rounder. I don't think he's getting a 36. Mm -hmm. what, what other guys do you want to um, quickly mention about on the college pitching side before we wrap up with some other dark horse college sure. hitters? Tyson neighbors from Kansas state, the power closer for them. He's somebody I could see in the first round, somebody trying to save a little bit of money toward the back end of the first round. Um, somebody that as a reliever would be as a reliever. Yeah. As a closer with two, three plus pitches, a guy that will move fast, so a fast track arm that maybe you can save some money on. Um, I think this stuff is that good. I think he's that good that you could look that that way with him. Um, uh, Luke Coleman from LSU is one that I like. I think his potential, maybe middle of the rotation type of arm. I know you've mentioned him, Ben Hess, before from Alabama. Recovering from Tommy John surgery. That's a name to keep an eye on. Um, gee whiz, you mentioned Tanner Witt the other day, and he's kind of fallen off the boards because of Tommy John surgery. But, you know, that's somebody to keep an eye on, too. He may reemerge in that 36, 48 range. Daniel, I can't remember the Tavia. last name, Avatilla yeah. from Grand, Grand Canyon. Yes. Yeah, the one from Grand Canyon. Um, he's another arm, I think, that could climb to that 48 pick range. Um, oh, geez, there's. There's several others, and I know I'm forgetting somebody now that I wanted to throw out there. Well, there's Gage Jump, who has not pitched this spring so far, at least now that we've seen from uh, uh, tweets from LSU. 
hope he's okay because we like we liked uh, Gage jump back in high school. Um, other guys on our watch list, yeah, you mentioned uh, Holman, we mentioned Massey, Hagen Smith. Although I think Hagen Smith winds up being a first rounder that won't get down to thirty six to Cleveland. Cameron Hill was a favorite of Jared's. Um, he didn't have great command at Georgia Tech, but his command was much better on the Cape last year. So uh, that could be a guy who, you know, the Cleveland likes year or year over year improvement performance. So that's a guy to keep an eye on. Duke's got, you know, Santucci, who I think probably goes in the first round out of Cleveland's range in terms of um, 36, but Andrew Healy is there. He's interesting. Ryan for for Rucci from UC San Diego is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So it's, I like it's probably um, not the best pitching class, but it's a good one. It's decent. Yeah, there was another arm I was going to throw in there, and now I just lost his name. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll come to, let's, let's, talk, let's talk hitters real quick. I, I really I did fall in love with Mike Sirota last year when I thought Cleveland was going to pick in the 6-10 to 10 range. That mm-hmm. obviously didn't work out, but that's okay because they're picking one overall. But uh, he will not be there for Cleveland to pick because he won't go number one overall, but he also won't be there at 36. To me, I, this is not a Cleveland-type guy, but I'm going to be watching Blake Burke from Tennessee. If they don't go Nick Kurtz 1-1, I'd be interested in Blake Burke down the board, seeing how he makes more contact this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Cole Mathis is a guy to pay attention to. We had him on Lockdown Guardians. Uh, Cleveland drafted his dad back in the, in the mid-90s. He has a two-way player who's focusing on hitting this year. We expect to hear more about him soon. Um, but he's a guy who has a ton of athleticism, makes contact, has power, has an arm. Uh, he could be an option at 36 and 48. Trying to think of my other favorite hitters that are down the board a little bit. Um, just kind of looking through my list. There's some guys I really, I really, I really enjoyed writing up. Uh, if you want some deeper second day hitters that I looked up, Willie, it was uh, Joy Oyama from UC Irvine, who is a, a guy who makes a ton of contact. Not a lot of pop in the bat, but he had a great cape. Uh, he's like five foot six, doesn't strike out. We've talked about Derek Bender from Coastal Carolina a little bit. Could he be a David Fry guy? He's probably not a catcher, but he plays yeah. first. He plays some outfield. He's got power. He doesn't strike out. Um, could he be a guy with a good bat who's a third catcher? So those are just some of the names I'd be watching for. Will Turner from South Alabama I wrote up. Um, he's a surefire center fielder and um, had a great cape. There's no pop there, but he's a, he's a guy early in the year to watch to see how South Alabama being a mid-major team plays against upper-level talent because I really like the skill set there. Yeah, I'm going to throw out um, Carter Matheson, the outfielder from Indiana. Uh, Brady Day, a second baseman outfielder from Kansas State. He's a senior sign type of guy that will go probably fourth, fifth round and somebody can save some money on. Um, Contact hitter. I'll just say he's probably Ernie Clement type of player. You're not going to get power, but you're going to get speed, and he's going to be a solid defender, can play a couple of positions, including outfield. Texas Tech, uh, I I remember the pitcher I was going to say. It was Kyle Robinson from Texas Tech, too. Reliever turned starter, young for the class, big frame, six foot six with good control. Um, Going back to your catcher, Possibly other position players. Kevin Bazell is one. Walker Janik from Stephen S. Austin, or Stephen F. Austin. Uh, well, Ethan Anderson, a first baseman catcher from Virginia, is a name to keep an eye on. I'm always skeptical of your Virginia hitters. Uh, Griff O'Farrell from Virginia as well, the middle infielder. Um, going back to catcher for a second, I like Hudson White, probably a middle middle round type guy. From Arkansas, somebody that was a Texas Tech transfer, above average defender, nothing great with the bat, maybe a, a Luke Maley type backup uh, catcher, but you know there's still value there. Um, oh geez, and I'll throw out a couple of guys I think that are going to show some value in the draft class, and this is going back to the college pitcher side, which is Gage Zeal from Miami, Justin Lower from who was a transfer from Xavier here in Ohio to LSU. He's a left-hand reliever with a low arm slot. Austin Gordon, the right-hand starting pitcher from Clemson. Ryan Drombrowski, a right-hand starting pitcher from Pennsylvania. Uh, Parker Smith, a starting pitcher from Rice. Darren Horn, a starting pitcher from Coastal Carolina. And Luke Jewett, a starting pitcher from UCLA. 
So there's some of the guys that I consider later round jewels or mid round jewels. Um, guys that I think that'll have some development this year and will get snatched up and have some value later on. Texas Tech, you mentioned that guy. He in Tennessee they play, so that'll be fun to watch. Uh Iowa, I'm not sure who Iowa's playing. They're playing somebody decent, I think. They're playing uh who's Iowa playing in this opening weekend? Seton Hall, that's always a decent Seton Hall is always pretty decent in baseball. They produce some dudes. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be watching a lot of Iowa baseball. We talked about all those pitchers, obviously. Uh, there's there's some good matchups early on. I'm, I'm excited for for the weekend of college baseball. Like I said, we didn't get to a whole lot of high school, but that's okay. We'll we'll do another podcast. We'll convince Willie to come out of retirement one more time to do a high school one, and then we'll see how the season goes, and we'll do a little more work. You can always tweet at him, spam spam Willie, and tell him to do do his as many podcasts as time possibly allows. Cause we all know people are tuning in for Willie. The numbers show they are a lot higher when Willie is on numbers are, are okay. They're, you know, they're down here when it's just me and a guest, but when it's me and Willie, it's, it's all the way up here. So you just keep tweeting him and tell him to come back and eventually he'll, he'll cave to peer pressure. is what I say. It's all of my kids. Justin. They watch multiple times. <laughs> Oh yeah. See, well, hey, whatever we can do to juice the numbers, I don't care. The numbers, the numbers, the numbers. I don't have that much data to show who's replaying it and who it is. But uh, go out and tell your friends if you're if you're excited. You should be excited. Cleveland's got a great chance to have a a fantastic draft and change their farm system and their, their team fortunes. This is a big year, and uh, there's a lot of exciting things to talk about. So we'll come back. We'll do more draft talk again. Well, minor league season's heating up. I'm working on the list. So uh, keep an eye on more prospect signing reports. Keep an eye on the college draft watch list on uh, next year in Cleveland. Follow Willie at WillWho99. You know where my stuff is. And uh, stay tuned to Lockdown Guardians. We've got uh, Carlos Plaza from Baseball America coming on Thursday and Friday. So excited about that. Lots of good things ahead. Um, and if you don't like it, if you don't like this podcast, you can blame Jared. Thanks, thanks for coming on, Willie, and we'll, we'll do this again soon.